0: Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. We ask that you would help us to have ears to hear, hearts that want to uh, be open to you and soften to your word. God, that we may walk in faith and truth in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as Jordan said, we, uh, we've only known each other for about a year, and, and the good news for Jordan is I'm not like his other friends. I'm not going to come up here and make fun of him. I'm not going to lay all his dirt out in front of you so that you can have some more on him. I'm sure he does that enough on his own, all right? All right. Uh, Yeah, so the good news, that's, that's the good news. And the other thing is, I grew up in a church similar to this, and I remember having guest preachers come in, and if there's something that I learned, it's this, as a guest preacher in a church, it is best if you preach for a short time, and then leave so that everybody gets to leave early, and then it puts pressure on Jordan from here on out to shorten those sermons, So you're all welcome. I'm going to do that for you. Uh, As we get started this morning, here's what I have uh, I want to talk to you about. Uh, This statement, you you can't have one without the other. And there are things like this in life, uh, and I need your help with them. So if I say something and you know that you can't have one without the other, I would like for some participation here. Maybe Jordan doesn't ask for that, but I do. All right, so if I were to say like peanut butter, you might say Jelly. jelly. You guys are on a, this is perfect. Oreos. Milk, yeah, great. Uh, Or how about uh, movies and popcorn, yeah, right. Or or Disney and, oh, there's all kinds, right? Yeah, that's right. But if I were to say Disney World, Mickey Mouse, right? You see Mickey Mouse there. I've never been, I don't know. Uh, The truth is, there are some things in life that you can't have one without the other, but those are kind of opinion things, right? There are some things in life, though, that you actually can't have one without the other. Like last night, my kids, uh, we, were, we were at a hotel and we went swimming. And what's true about swimming is that you cannot go swimming without getting wet. That's exactly right. Or, or a fire. Like a fire cannot burn if it doesn't have heat, if it doesn't have fuel, and if it doesn't have oxygen. All right? if, you, if you don't have all three of those with a chemical reaction, you don't have a fire. Or also like when babies come into the world. Now wait a second, I'm not really going into the weeds here. But when babies come into the world, like you have to have cells that multiply. Or or better yet, like when a seed wants to produce something, that seed has to first die in order to produce what it was created to produce. So there are some things in life that you can't have one without the other. Earlier this month, we celebrated Easter. And the truth about Easter is you can't have resurrection without death. And James is where we're going to be reading from this morning. And and what's interesting about the book of James, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. What is interesting about the book of James is the author, James, was Jesus' half-brother. And maybe you know this, but James did not believe Jesus was who he said he was until after the resurrection. So James spent his entire life and spent Jesus' entire life not believing that Jesus was who he said he was, not believing that Jesus was the Son of God, not believing that Jesus was the Messiah who had come, not until after the resurrection. And it's in that place that James becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church, and James also then writes this letter. Entitled, James. Now, I want you to note, at the very beginning, James kind of introduces and writes this letter from this place. He says this in James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James denotes something about what he believes about Jesus, that Jesus is his Lord. That's a big statement coming from a half-brother to another half-brother, Right? But he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. If you're wondering what version I'm reading from, it's from the ESV, if that changes anything for you, just as a heads up. Um, But he says, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. So he's writing to Jews, Jewish Christians in particular. And I say all of this because it it gives a background and it kind of frames what we're going to read from James chapter 2 remind you that he is writing from a place of believing Jesus is who he says he is because of the resurrection. He has encountered the risen Jesus and it has changed his life because that's the truth about when you encounter Jesus. Jesus changes everything. So James chapter 2 is where we're going to read from, uh, starting in verse 14. Before we start, I'd like us to pray and ask God's blessing on on our word. God, would you teach us from your word? God, would you do what only you can, and and maybe that which is familiar to us, the words that we might read or hear this morning, God, may we hear them new. And by your power and by your grace, God, may it continue to change our life and the lives of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so James chapter 2, starting in uh, verse 14, here's what it says, what good is it, my brother's? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Another little tidbit about the book of James and about how James writes is James is one of those writers that likes to really stir the pot. You might know some people like this in your life where they really like to provoke you. And in fact, it's usually like brothers or sisters. They do something that gets under your skin just to watch the reaction happen, right? Yeah, this is James. James does this throughout his entire letter. He writes from a place where he's trying to provoke his reader or his listener to a place of deeper understanding. And that's what James starts here with. He, he starts with a question that is meant to provoke the reader. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then this statement, can that faith save him? James introduces an idea here that is going to be held in contrast throughout the rest of what we read. And that's this, that there is a saving kind of faith. And there's a dead faith. And he's going to hold those in contrast throughout all of this text that we read. And, and quite honestly, the whole book of James, this, this uh, chunk of scripture, it kind of frames the entire book. In fact, it's, it's the thread that goes throughout the whole letter. So if you were to go home and you were to read James throughout this week, what you'll see him repeating over and over again is this idea between a faith, A living faith or a saving faith in the works that it produces in one's life. And so James says, can that faith save him? And then James does something. He throws out an illustration that honestly is as ludicrous as it sounds to you as it was to these readers. Right, because James is writing to some Jews, but he's writing to a specific kind of Jews. Uh, these Jews were, were dispersed, as it said. Remember that word, dispersed, in the, big, the, the verse 1? James is writing to Jews who have been dispersed. So there's some that are living here, there's some that are living here, there's some that are living here. They're, they're not all living in the same place. But interestingly enough, the Jews at this time, they, they lived close together with other Jews, and they took care of each other. Right, they saw somebody who was in need, they would help meet that need. If they saw somebody who needed clothes, they would clothe them. If they saw somebody who needed something, they took care of them. So James throws out this preposterous idea. like, If you were to see a brother or sister, a brother or sister, somebody who's in your community, somebody who you have committed your life to taking care of, if you see them in need, and they very much need clothes, and they very much need food, and you were to just say, well... I wish you well. Go and, go and be warm and well-filled. Like, what good is that? The truth is, the hearers of this word and, and you alike, it doesn't take a mind to know that this isn't good for anything, right? Like, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be of help to anyone. And so James says, listen, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You can't have one without the other. And then James continues in verse 18. He says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so at this point, James introduces a hypothetical character. He says, hey, listen, suppose somebody says, you have faith and I have works. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you think, but that person seems like that hypothetical character is on James's side. Right? Because James has been talking about, like, we need... To have works that go along with our faith. And that guy is saying the same thing. You have faith and I have works. And then James says this. says, show me your faith apart from your works. That apart from peace is key to understanding what's happening. That guy, that hypothetical character is saying, you have faith and I have works. He's saying, you have this and I have that. He's talking about them being a separated entity. And what James does is he says, no, 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 in fact, faith and works are an inseparable relationship. You can't have one without the other. And so James squashes that idea. Now I want us to kind of ask this question, because at this point, I would ask this question. Like, why is it that faith in Jesus would change how we act or behave? Why is it that committing our life to Jesus would change how it is that we live our life? And that's a good question. But the truth is, if you look around in life, there's a lot of relationships that are like this. In fact, when you look at like a student-teacher relationship, right, as a student, if I believe that the teacher has my best interest in mind, and if I believe that the teacher knows how to get me from point A to point B, and if I believe that the teacher wants me to have an expanded mind that better understands the world, my relationship to that person changes as a student. It changes the kind of questions I might ask the teacher. It changes how I respond when the teacher asks me to do something difficult or something hard. It changes the relationship. It changes how I live in accordance to the teacher. But it's not just student-teacher relationships. I think about a parent and a child relationship. Right? If the child believes that the parent has their best interests in mind, and if the child trusts the parent, it changes how the child interacts with the parent. It's not just that, but like a boss and an employee. If you believe that your boss has your best interest in mind and and constantly holds the bigger picture of the company in in mind, you're going to handle different things with the boss differently because you believe that about your boss. But beyond that, I also think about like a husband and wife. And this is probably the best example of this. A husband and a wife. Right, when, when I commit my life to my wife, it 100% changes how I behave. Like I listen to every word she says. But there's a lot of truth in that. Like relationships, when we believe and when we are committed to them, they change how we live our life. And to think that all of those relationships, right? So you got a student, a teacher, a boss, an employee, a husband, and wife. To think that those kind of relationships would impact how we live our life. And you contrast that to a relationship with the creator of the universe. A relationship with God himself. And to believe that having a relationship with the creator would not change our life. Well, that idea is crazy. Because you look at all the other relationships that pale in significance compared to a relationship with the Creator. And you understand that, that it in fact would change how we live our life. And so James says, listen, faith without works is dead. You cannot have one without the other. And I think it's at this point that it would also be good to maybe define faith. Like how does faith differ from Belief. I heard a preacher once, and he was talking about um, the, this difference, and he was defining faith in this way. He said, there's a trapeze artist, and this apparently is a real story. So if you want to Google it, I don't know the trapeze artist's real name. Maybe Jordan does, actually. I, you could ask him. But the truth is this. There's a trapeze artist who would walk high wires, and he would go out. and He was known as one of the greatest ever, but he would go out, and he would sit on a stool on the, the middle of the wire, And he would have his lunch out there, and then he would walk back to the crowd. And what he would do when he got back to the crowd is he would ask the crowd this question. He'd say, how many of you believe I could take a wheelbarrow and push it across and push it back, and I would make it back? And of course, everybody, after seeing his display, would say they would raise their hand, right? And then he would say this, how many of you believe it enough that you will get in the wheelbarrow? And of course, nobody would raise their hand. And he would do this at all his different crowds, but there was one time where somebody did raise their hand, and it was his little girl. Because she not only believed her dad, but she trusted her dad enough to be willing to get into the wheelbarrow, to be pushed across and brought back. See, there is a difference between just believing, there is a trust factor. And in that illustration, and, and much like what James is saying, there is an action element to having faith In Jesus. And James would say, faith without works is dead. He continues in verse 19, and here's what he says. You believe that God is one. He says, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. And what James is doing here, he's actually intertwining something. I just want to let you know about that. So he, he uses some very specific words in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one. This is actually a, a statement from the Shema. And the Shema for the Jewish people was something that was central to life. It was a statement, it's found in Deuteronomy 6, 4. It's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And the Jews, they would say this all the time. In fact, the Jews, they would whisper it to their babies. The very first thing their babies would ever hear is the Shema. But they would center their lives around this statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what James does is he interweaves what he's trying to say. He says, you believe that God is one? Well, good, so do the demons. And yet their relationship with the God of the universe is one that strikes utter terror. If James were writing to us today, James might say something like, Oh, you go to church. Great. The demons do too. Some you are like, yeah, they're right beside me. Known as children. I'm just joking. <laughs> or he might say something like, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Good. So do the demons. Right? You remember the encounter with Jesus where he's about to cast the demon out and the demon proclaims him as the Son of God and says, Let us go into the pigs instead. So James says, you, you believe that? Well, good. But, but it's more than that. And then James goes on to give two very positive examples of faith and works. Listen to what he says here in verse 20. He says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he says this, Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and when it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. That's illustration number one. And then he continues, he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 25, and in the same way was not also uh, Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And so he dives into two positive illustrations here. First, Abraham In Abraham, as you may know his story, Abraham was promised by God that he would be the father of many nations. That he would play a pivotal role in the life and in the the history of Israel. In Abraham, he was promised this son, but, but the problem was Abraham did not have a son for a really long time. Right, He and his wife Sarah, they did not have a... a and, and it was long enough that they began to doubt. In fact, Abraham began to doubt that, that God would in fact do this. That God would see him uh, a son or, or bless him with a son. But when God eventually does, he names him Isaac. And, and what's interesting is God would later ask Abraham to take Isaac up on a mountain to sacrifice him. To give him back to God in a sacrifice. And you can imagine what that might have been like to hear for Abraham. A rather ginormous, life changing kind of uh, like question or test of faith on Abraham's behalf. And yet, what does Abraham do? Abraham follows through even to the very, very end, where it's not until he lifts the knife that God intervenes and provides a different sacrifice. That's example number one, pretty life-changing kind of test of faith moment. And then there's Rahab. I don't know if you know the story of Rahab, but Rahab's story is is a little bit different. Rahab's story is that she was a Gentile. Rahab was not an Israelite. She was not a part of, of God's original family, if you will. And what what happened with Rahab is there were some spies or some messengers that came into her city, and they were coming to scout it out. And here's what happens. Uh, Word gets out that those spies are there, and and their life becomes at risk. And what does Rahab do? Well, Rahab has faith in this Israelite God, and so she hides these messengers and then sends them out the back door. Okay. So her role in this story is pretty simple, a little bit different than Abraham's. When you look at them and you contrast them. And you see Rahab's uh, story a little bit like this. She welcomes people into her front door, ushers them out the back door. And those are the two examples that that James gives here. And then he finishes with this. He says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And to tie it all up and to, to summarize what he's trying to say, James actually revisits the Genesis account. Right, because he's writing to Jews here, and he says this. He says, so the body without spirit is dead. This is actually a, a, a tie back to the creation order where God breathes his spirit into that which he has created, and it gives life. The human being. God breathes his spirit into the nostrils of man, and man becomes alive and and for the Jews to hear that to think about the idea that something could be alive without God first breathing his spirit into it well that idea is crazy and he says the same is true with faith so faith without works is dead you cannot have one without the other truth is I think in these examples of Abraham and Rahab is kinda where we as Christians can can find a takeaway. Because I think we spend a lot of our life looking at and preparing for the big Abraham test of faith kind of moments. We spend a lot of time thinking about, well, if, well, if I was being persecuted and if, and if my life was on the line, I would still proclaim faith in Jesus. Or, or we think about the, the girl out of, at Columbine High School who, who, because she proclaimed her faith, she did lose her life. Or we, in fact, you'll hear a story, it sounds like, next week about Ken. whose test of faith was pretty measured, pretty large. And Kim will tell you about his story, and we think about those big moments, those big Abraham kind of moments, where God is testing our faith and the works that comes from, but we forget about the Rahab kind of moments. The everyday moments of our life, where our faith should be working itself out in our life. There's an author named Tish Harrison Warren, and she wrote a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And honestly, this book, it it just talks about the ordinary, everyday moments of faithfulness that as Christians, we are called to live out. But listen to what she says. She says, everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. That I was made and remain a Christian who longs for revolution, for things to be made new and whole and beautiful in big ways. What I'm slowly seeing is that you can't get the revolution without learning to do the dishes. The kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. I often want to skip the boring daily stuff to get the thrill of an edgy faith, but it's the dailiness of the Christian walk, the making the bed. The doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows. Everyone wants a revolution, nobody wants the dishes. See, James's point is that faith without works is dead, but it's faith without the big works, like Abraham. Faith without those big works is dead. But it's also faith without the small works. Faith without the small moments in everyday life like Rahab. Faith without those small works is dead. Because the truth is, when you encounter Jesus, the way in which James did. When you have faith in in a God who sends his son... And when you proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior of a life, well, everything changes. Everything changes. Even the small things change. And I think it's worth everybody in this room today taking time to sit and ask, like, where is, where is my work not being uh, equated or, or shown as a representation of the faith I have in Jesus? Because the truth is, we all face everyday small moments. In fact, you will face everyday small moments as you leave. I'm sure somebody on your way home won't let you go first at the stop sign. Or maybe you might go to a restaurant and and the server might have a ton of tables and your service might be slow. But the truth is, we face small everyday moments, well, every day. And it's in those moments where God calls us to be as faithful in those as we are, the big moments. And then God prepares us to be faithful for those big moments in those small moments. James says faith without works is dead. And it's true that faith without big works is dead. But it's true also that faith without small works is dead. My encouragement as we we close this morning is to think through how does that how does that apply to my situation? What are the small everyday moments where my faith isn't being worked out? I can tell you as a dad, uh, that's really hard. It's really hard holistically. I got three kids, eight, five, and four. And actually last night as, as they were swimming, they wanted me to get in the pool. And to be quite honest, I did not want to get in. But the truth of the matter is in getting in the pool and and being with them, those, those moments of, of getting to share life together, they're meaningful. The kids could have swam by themselves. But sharing that experience with their dad was much more impactful and meaningful to the overarching narrative of their life. And that, that's true for you too. The small everyday moments that you encounter. We are faithful in those small moments. It shapes the rest of our outlook. It shapes the rest of other people's outlook. It's in those small moments where heaven breaks through. And as Jesus would pray, we pray his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You get to play a part in that. James catalyzes and encourages us to play a part in that in the everyday part of life. Let's pray. God, as we close our time and as we sit and we, we consider where our faith and works are intertwined and, and maybe where they aren't. God, as you have done over this last week in revealing to me the small everyday moments where, where my faith is not being lived out, my prayer that so you do the same for the people of Etna Green Church of Christ. God, in those small everyday moments, I pray that As they live out their faith. That they are as encouraged as I have been. To to play a part in what it is that you're doing here in this place. And as we hear and are encouraged by people who are faithful even in the big moments. Where their, their faith is lived out in the big moments. I pray that that only serves to to be a foundation and to be a place where we take inspiration to live the small everyday moments as well. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for this gathering, this, this church. Thank you for, for Jordan and Wendy as they have uh, led so faithfully here. Thank you for the people who, who are walking alongside and walking arm in arm and, and making Etna Green a better place because of your church here. God, may we continue to lock arms with you, live out everyday moments in our life where we see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand in response?